The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Take your Bibles with me. Turn to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Let's, let's read Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this time that we have. We come to you tonight, Lord, with heavy hearts. As we consider Pam and pastor as they they endure these difficult times and truly Lord uh, when one part of the body hurts the entire body aches together and we suffer with them and we, we pray Lord and we ask that your will be done quickly in this thing and, and Lord uh, we ask for the strength to each of us to endure the will of God and to be a blessing and a help to Pastor and Pam in every chance that we get. Thank you for this time tonight, and we ask that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a very sobering thought to realize that we are ever in the presence of the Lord. When I was a young man, a young boy, really, growing up, um, now, I love my father greatly, but my father was a disciplinarian. You can imagine, because he was a drill sergeant. So, you can imagine, there wasn't too much l- leniency given to me and my brother. Uh, there were very explicit expectations. So, we grew up very disciplined. But from time to time, when I was away from my dad... My, my little horns would start to grow out a little bit. And I would, I would venture away from the structure that he had established in my life. But when my dad was around, those little horns would run and hide. And I towed the line. So, I, I, I knew. I mean, I'd sit there in the afternoon and I knew what time my dad was going to, my dad would get home the same time every day. Sometime I think, I thought he stopped around the corner and waited until that exact moment to come around the corner and park if he was running early. But I knew exactly what time dad was going to drive up in the driveway. And I tell you, for at least five minutes before that time, I was the best boy on the planet Earth. So, we need to stop and think about this for a moment. 
Psalm 100, David, David talks about being in the presence of the Lord. And we need to remember we are ever in his presence. In Psalm 139, verses 7 through 11, we read, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. So no matter where we may go, no matter what we may do, we are always ever in the presence of the Lord. Jonah found out about that, didn't he? He, he boarded a ship to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Didn't do him any good. Even in the belly of the, of the fish, even in the belly of the whale, God was present with Jonah. Now, given this fact, you and I should live our life fully aware that the Lord is ever present with us. Now, our text this evening is fitly titled, A Psalm of Praise. If you, I don't know if you have a, a Bible that titles each psalm, but in, in my Schofield Reference Bible in Psalm 100 says, A Psalm of Praise. And that is a fitting title. King David, in penning this psalm, is calling out to each of us, God's children, and he is admonishing us. To do some things. So with the time that I have tonight. And I I intend to be brief. I'd like to share the message of David in this psalm. So first tonight I want us to see first of all. The exhortation to praise God. Now I apologize I didn't have time to prepare an outline to get to Eric. So he could prepare a powerpoint. So we're going to have to do this old school. Okay so. Number, point number one is the exhortation to praise God. In Psalm 100 and verse 1, we read, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Now, the connotation here is that of joyful people. Only joyful people make a joyful noise, right? When we're not, when we're not joyful, we don't make a joyful noise. We make a sad noise. We, we throw pity parties and, and we moan and we complain and oh, you know, there's some people I, I, I just dread asking them, how are you doing? Because they're going to take the time to actually tell you. You understand in America, that is simply just a, a, a casual greeting. How are you doing? How are you doing? They don't really want to know. Okay. But there are some people, you ask them that, and you better, you better plan on five minutes of moaning and groaning. But the connotation here is that we are a joyful people. We, we come before the Lord making a joyful noise. Not people who are living in defeat. Not people who are of a depressed spirit. Now tonight we... We could, we could do that, couldn't we? We could. When we think about our sister Pam, 
and, and, and what she's going through. And when we think about the pastor, and, and this morning I stood and spoke with pastor in his office, and he looked at me in, the, in my eyes, and I could see the pain in his face. I, I could see the, the, the sorrow he felt, and, and I was so frustrated. I think Brother Gary was, was with us there, and I, I told him, I said, you know, I feel bad. All I can do is pray. But then I thought to myself, what a stupid statement. All I can do is pray. Isn't that the greatest thing we can do? Isn't it the greatest thing we can do to go before the, the king of king and his throne and know that he hears our prayers? That's a wonderful thing. But even though we go through hardships, we're not, we're not defeated, folks. We're not beaten. David is saying, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice at his goodness. Rejoice at his mercy. Rejoice at his providence. Let me remind you that you and I have much to rejoice about. Have you ever taken the time to count all the blessings you receive from God? I used to challenge my high school students. I used to challenge them once a year, go home and make a list of all the blessings, all the good things you have in your life that you can attribute to the Lord. And then over on this side, make a list of all the things in which God has failed to, 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 to provide for you. And that'll, that'll show us real quickly how blessed we are. However, we do find the time and seem to have the ability to focus in on the things that we don't like, the negative things. It's easy to rejoice in the good times, isn't it? You get a promotion at work, which means better pay and more benefits. Woohoo! Praise the Lord! Your son or your daughter gets a scholarship to a big name school and you won't have to put out a penny to send them there. Woohoo! Praise the Lord! You had a December to remember and you woke up and you had a new Lexus in your driveway. Woohoo! Praise the Lord. And in these high times, it's easy. It's easy for you and I as a believer. It's easy for us to talk about how good God is. But can I remind you? That the Lord is always good. He's good even when things aren't going well for you. Whether your checking account is full or empty. God is good. If your health is great or if it is failing. God is good. If your job is stable or if you're about to be laid off. God is good. God is good no matter what is happening to us. Now there are two, voice, two verses I want to share with this thought. First one is Matthew chapter 5. You might want to turn there. You'll keep a marker in Psalm because we're going to come back. Matthew chapter 5 and look at, let's look at verse 45, 44 and 45. We read here, But I say unto, unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. 
For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Listen, when things aren't going good in our life, that doesn't mean God is not good. In Psalm 145, verses 8 through 10, we read, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. You see, God's goodness is not measured by how things are going in our life. There are going to be times, if, if you've not already experienced them, there are going to be great times of sadness in your life. And during those darkest moments, during those hours of great darkness, God is good. I think about Tom and Pauline. I remember like it was yesterday. Sitting in, I was, I was working here in Ronan Park and I got a call from our church secretary. She informed me that Elizabeth had been in a terrible accident. And, and, and I remember all the things that Tom and Pauline went through with that. But I guarantee, I know for a fact, both of them could, could attest to the fact that even through all of that, God was good. I think about my own son, born December 26, 1982. No, 1986, I'm sorry. My oldest child was born in 82. I think about when my son was born, December 26, 1986, and the nurse came out and she said, it's a boy, and my mother and I were rejoicing, we were hugging each other, and I was crying, I had tears, I was so elated to have a boy, and the doctor came in, he said, sit down. He said, I got something to tell you. He may not live. I went from the heights of ecstasy to the depths of remorse. That fast. And I remember searching out in that, in that uh, hospital and finding the little chapel. And I remember going in there and closing the door, kneeling down at, at this pul- pulpit that was there. And I remember thanking God for how good he was. And pray that God would help me, give me the strength to accept his will. And the strength to be a testimony of his great love and mercy and his grace. God has graced my wife and I with 32 years of life to our son. I don't know how much more he'll have. I don't know how much more any of us will have. But whatever we have is more than we deserve. Amen. God is so good. He is so good. His mercy is everlasting. In fact, when when things are not going good in our life, it's probably our own fault, not God's. Remember the truth of Scripture in Galatians chapter 6. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. 
Not too long ago at work, someone came to me and said, how can a God of love allow fires to go through and ravage and destroy and kill people like that? I told them, I told her, I said, it's not God, it's sin. Sin is the curse of this world. Don't blame God for that. Blame, blame mankind. I preached, I preached a message once entitled Rejoice in the Lord. And in that message, I cited one of my favorite hymns. God never moves without purpose or plan when trying his servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord. Though your testing seems long, in darkness he giveth a song. Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. For when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. Oh yes, you and I don't know what purpose God has in the things that he allows to enter into our lives. We don't understand it. But all we need to know is that we are to rejoice in the Lord, for he is good and his grace is is ever-present. We're to praise him at all times. Turn with me to Psalm 34, please. Psalm 34. And let's read Psalm 34. Now this, this psalm in my Bible is captioned, The Lord delivers his own. We read here, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked up unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. All I can say to that is praise the Lord. Amen. So first, tonight, David encourages us to praise God with the exhortation to praise. Number two is we see the edification to serve God. 
First, we see the exhortation to praise God, but also in Psalm 100, we see the edification to serve God. Psalm 100 and verse 2, we read, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Now, I must stress here that a proper definition of serving the Lord is necessary for us to understand the gravity of this statement. What constitutes serving the Lord? Well, I suppose we would have to apply the definition of a servant in order to properly answer this question. Now, the definition of the servant is an attendant, which means seeing to the needs of another. It's also one who consents voluntarily. In other words, not bound or enslaved. It's one who is subject to the authority of another or a hired assistant. These are the definitions of a servant. Now, from these definitions, we see a distinct difference between a servant and a slave. David did not suggest that we are slaves of Christ. Although the Apostle Paul considered himself to be one. In Philemon chapter 1 and verse 1, we read Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. So Paul called himself a prisoner, a slave, if you will, to Jesus Christ. But it is important that we remember that Jesus himself told us that we were no longer servants, but friends. In John chapter 15, verses 14 and 15, we read, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Yes, we are friends of Jesus Christ. Yet that does not relieve us of our duty to serve. My Father for instance, did not consider me a servant. He didn't consider me a slave. However, he did expect me to serve. He did expect me to do things around the house. We are to serve the Lord. And we are to serve in the work of the local church. And in the furtherance of the gospel in our community, in our country, in our, in our nation, and, and around the world. And this we do, we should do voluntarily, with a joyful spirit. We subject ourselves to the authorities that God has placed over us, our pastor. We submit to the authority of the pastor in our lives. I've I've heard Christian people who say, well, no man's going to tell me what to do. Well, you're wrong. Somebody's going to tell you what to do. Everybody follows somebody, amen? If it's not the pastor, maybe it's some guy at work that you're, that you're emulating or, or some actor on TV who, who you think is the greatest thing walking and you emulate them in your life, but you're going to emulate someone. You're going to submit to someone in your life. What's wrong with submitting to your pastor? Knowing that the Lord will reward you for your faithful service, both here and in glory to come. We must not be content to just watch others serve. For this willingness to serve is one of the proofs of our faith in Jesus Christ. 
James talked about that in the second chapter of his book. He said, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there, there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. We can come and sit in a pew and, and we can say amen to the preacher and we can claim to have faith. But if we don't have works to back up our faith, then our faith is dead. We are to be servants. We are admonished by, 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 by Christ to serve him in his local church. Don't just talk about serving the Lord. And don't just sit by and watch others serving the Lord. Roll up your sleeves and get in there and get to work. We use all kinds of excuses not to serve God. And I've heard them all. I've been in the ministry for over 37 years. I've heard them all. Well, somebody, was, somebody wasn't nice to me at church. So I'm not going to go there anymore. Well, I, I, I did all this great stuff and nobody even appreciates me. I'm sorry. Why are we here? Are we here to appreciate you? Are we here to recognize you? There's nothing wrong with a pastor standing up behind his pulpit and thanking a church member for doing a great job. But you know what? That's not why we're here, amen? We're here to serve God. We're here to honor Him. We're here to glorify Him. Don't just sit around and observe. Don't just sit back and watch everybody else doing. Get up and do something. Go to the pastor and say, Pastor, I want a job. Give me a job. I don't, I don't care what it is, Pastor. Give me a job in the church. I want a job. You know someone who I miss seeing around here? John Harrison. I miss seeing John around here. John used to, he used to ride in with, with uh, Bob and Bronwyn. And he was the first one out of your car, wasn't he, Bob? I mean, he was jumping out of your car. And he was almost running into this building. You know why? He had jobs to do. He used to take the covers off the instruments. And he'd, he'd fold them up and he'd put them behind the, the curtain. He'd go over and he'd turn the light on. In the baptistry. And he would, he would go around and he had jobs in the building. And he, he couldn't wait to do them. And I never ever once tried to stop him. That was his job. Leave him alone. Let him do his job. Listen. David has exhorted us to praise God. And he has exhorted us to serve God. Find a job to do in the church. I don't know what it could be. Ask one of the deacons. Any of you deacons here? You got jobs you can give people? You got them? Huh? Okay. There they are. Don't just sit around and say, I got no job. I got nothing to do. Well, go talk to a deacon. Go talk to the pastor. Come talk to me. I'll train you how to stand up here and lead the singing. If you, if you want to serve, there's work. 
If you don't want to serve, there's the problem. But then thirdly, number three, I promise to be brief. Well, I didn't promise. I said I was going to try to be brief. Number three, we see the encouragement to worship God. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Consider the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 4, Jesus said, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, just Jesus told us to worship God in spirit and in truth. But what does he mean by the term in spirit? Well, I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me that they can worship God at the lake just as well as they can in the church. I was out visiting when knocking doors here in Rona Park one night and I knocked on a guy's door and he was in his garage and he was he was putting together his fishing gear. And I said, oh, you going fishing this weekend? Yeah, I said, I'm going fishing Sunday. I said, wow, Sunday. I said, you know, Sunday is the Lord's day. That's when we go to church and worship the Lord. He said, oh, man, I worship God on the lake every Sunday. I said, you know, there's two things interesting about that kind of worship. Number one, there's never an offering taken. And number two, there's never preaching done. And he just looked at me. Oh yeah, I've heard that all the time. Ah, I can worship God at the lake. I've also had Christians tell me that they can worship God even though they aren't here at church. Even though they absence themselves. Not, well, you know, I may not be there on Sunday, but I still worship God. Oh, really? Do you really worship God when you're at Disneyland on Sunday? Do you? Do you stop the Pirates of the Caribbean? Do you stop their eyes and say, okay, anyone want to get baptized here today? There's, here's water. What does hinder you from being baptized today? Let's have a, let's have a period of worship and praise here to, to God. It doesn't happen, folks. It doesn't happen. We certainly, now, now certainly, let me, let me say this. There is private worship. Uh, a time when we get, go apart alone and worship God. I, I have private worship, time when I worship God with no one else around me, when I go on my own and, and I, I'll sing hymns sometimes, I'll, I'll speak to God, I'll, I'll worship Him and, and, and pray to Him. But to worship God, even in private, assumes that we will have our entire heart and mind fixed on Him, focused on worship. That might be hard to do, screaming across the lake at 40 miles per hour on a jet ski. Or sitting in a, in a stadium somewhere watching a sporting event. So don't tell me you, you, you're, you're privately worshiping God during those times. Because your, your heart and mind is not fixed upon, upon the worship of, that God deserves. However, there is also corporate worship. This is the worship of the church as a body. And it is this that we are admonished to partake of. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author writes, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day 
approaching. The meaning here is that we maintain a spirit of worship. We worship him with all our heart and all our mind. Our mind is fixed on worshiping God. That's hard to do when you're distracted by other things. So the truth of the matter is that men are not willing to submit to God's authority in worship. Instead, they dictate to God the terms of their worship. In other words, they say, I will not participate in the corporate worship of my church. I will worship you, God, when and where I choose, and you can take it or you can leave it. Is that the way, is that the way you want to feel? It's not the way I want to feel. But we must take note that David admonished us to enter into his gates, not call him over to your place. Today, far too many Christians feel no sense of obligation to maintain a faithful worship of God. And they would never join a church that attempted to make them feel guilty for such a life. Yet, our worship, both private and corporate, of God is vitally essential to the health of our spiritual life. Now, in closing tonight, allow me to make just a few observations from Psalm 100 and verse 4 concerning our worship of God. First, I want us to consider the privilege of access. The privilege of access. Psalm 100 verse 4 starts out, enter into his gates. Now in Hebrews chapter 10, we read this, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Having therefore boldness to enter. The mainstream Christianity today is so man-centered. It is focused on man's value, on man's importance. These preachers going around the country saying, God needs you today. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need any of us. God is self-sufficient. The truth is, we need God. Many feel God is privileged to have them take the time to come to church. I mean... I took time today to come to this church. The least you could do is make me feel welcome. Well, certainly we should make them feel welcome, amen? We should make them, not let them know that we appreciate them taking the time to come. But they, they're not, they, they don't deserve a pat on the back because they did. And if we're too busy to come to church, well, God's just going to have to understand. I was just too busy to come to church today. God knows. And he understands. Oh, he knows. He most definitely knows you, you weren't there, but he doesn't understand. 
because Jesus set his flint, set his face toward Jerusalem like a flint, and nothing was going to prevent him from being at the cross to obey the Father, by the way, not, not to save me. See, there goes that man-centered theology again. Jesus had to... You know, Jesus, his death on the cross saves me, but why did he die on the cross? In obedience to what? The will of the Father. My salvation is a byproduct of his obedience to God. Of his obedience to the will of God on the cross. Now, certainly that was God's means to redeem us. I understand that. But don't get to the point where you think that you were so important that all of that had to take place. It wasn't you... It wasn't for your glory that Jesus did that. It was for the glory of the Father. I lost my place. Oh, here it is. Never forget what a privilege it is to have the ear of God. And never take this for granted. Letter B. We see the priority of thankfulness. Again in Psalm 104, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, mainstream Christianity today has produced a generation of believers who feel that they are entitled to get everything they want. Everything they think they deserve. This is the result of the name it and claim it generation. How many of you ever heard that? Name it and claim it. Name it and claim it. But let me be perfectly clear tonight. The only thing any of us here deserve tonight. Is to burn in hell for all eternity. And if you think you don't deserve that, then I need to introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only thing that you and I have earned. We've earned hell in our lives. So anything short of eternal damnation should cause us to rejoice and give thanks unto God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Remember the works of our Lord. In Luke chapter 10, we read, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be any, by any means hurt you, notwithstanding in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Then lastly tonight, notice with me the propriety of praise. Psalm 100 verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Psalm 147 and verse 1. Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise, and praise is comely. So we see three things in this verse and I'm done. First, it is good to praise God. But actually... It is good for me to praise my God. Don't get the idea that God is sitting in heaven like some poor jilted suitor just waiting on the end of his seat for me to praise him. 
It's good for me to praise God. It's good for my heart, my soul, to praise the Lord and humble myself before his mighty throne. My praise will teach me humility before God and before you. It'll teach me reverence for God and his sovereignty. It'll teach me thankfulness for the providence of God. And it'll teach me dependence upon God and God alone for my needs. But second, it is pleasant to offer God praise. Not only is it good, but it's pleasant. Praise is acceptable and pleasing unto God. Not because God needs to have his ego stroked. Rather, he rejoices in our obedience and our submission to him. Much the same way that you parents feel when your children praise you. You ever, you ever he- overhear one of your, one of your kids talking to a, another, one of their friends maybe and talking good about you? Doesn't that make you feel good? Makes you feel good. But it makes you, it makes you feel good because they, you know that they appreciate what you're doing for them. And that's, that's, that's why it's, it's, it's pleasant to God to, to, when we offer him praise. And then thirdly, it is comely to praise God. Now comely means to be decent, to be suitable, or to be proper. John Gill wrote this, Praise is due to the Lord and becomes his people to give it to him. It is but their reasonable service and a beautiful and lovely sight it is to see the chosen, redeemed, and called of the Lamb, harping with their harps and singing the song of redeeming love. It's comely. It's, it's appropriate. It's becoming when we praise God. When we praise God, the angels in heaven rejoice. When we praise God, our neighbors are instructed in righteousness. When we praise God, our brothers and sisters are encouraged and uplifted. And when we praise God, our own spirits are revived. In his presence. Each of us here tonight are in his presence at all times. So if that's true, and it is, then let us, let us learn to praise him. Praise him at work. Praise him, praise him before your children at home. Praise him in your prayers. Praise him in your, in your private life. Praise him with your life. Let us learn to serve him. Serve him with joy and with gladness. Serve him without ulterior motive. Serve, us, serve him because he is worthy to be served. And let us learn to worship him. Worship him without ceasing. All the time. When you're alone. When we're together. When you're at work. We have, a, we have a lady at work. She walks in in the morning and she sets her bag down and she says, Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for another day. And I always look at her and I think, Man, you know, you just don't see that from people. And all day long she shares her testimony with everyone that will listen to her. Now that's a Christian who loves God. 
She's 74, and she's just so thrilled and happy because God is her Savior. That's how, you know, I want to be, I want to be like her when I'm 74. I told her that one day. I said, Mary, you're my hero. I want to be just like you when I get old. <laughs> and she always laughs. But there's, there's just, folks, we're always in his presence. We're, we're never away from God. He's, he's with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. Even in the dark times. My wife's favorite poem is The Footprints in the Sand. And she has, she has all kind of pictures and things. And I love that, I love that, that, that poem. I love, I love reading it at the end where the Lord says, My dear child, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. I'll never, I'll never get over the fact that God saved me. If ever there was a person who deserved to burn in hell, you're looking at it. But God saved my soul. I owe him my life. And all of you do as well. It's time that we give him what he deserves. That's us. Let's pray. Father, Father, tonight, maybe, maybe some here are perfectly, are, everything is just great. Everything, their jobs are good, their health is good, their kids are good. Everything in life is just moving along as it should, and everything's great. Maybe some here tonight are, are experiencing troubles, experiencing heartaches. Think about our pastor and, and his wife, Pam. And as I said before, Lord, when when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. And we, we, we hurt with them. But Lord, we can, we can find comfort and solace in the fact that you are ever in our presence. Or we are ever in your presence. And you love us. And your will is what's best for us. Even when we don't understand it, your will is, is best for us. Now we come to you tonight and we ask, Lord, that you would give us, give us strength, give us wisdom. Help us to accept your will and to fulfill your will in our lives. Strengthen us and teach us. We're, we're feeble children, Lord. Teach us. Teach us your truth. Set our feet on the right paths. Let us be an encouragement to one another. Let us help each other along the way. And in all these things, we will rejoice and give you the thanks and the glory. And give you the praise and the worship. For you alone are worthy. Bless us tonight as we leave this place. I pray this message would have spoken to the hearts of your children. And would perhaps, maybe if it's not useful to them today... In a, in, a, in a dark moment, in a difficult time, perhaps they will find the strength they need to stand firm in their faith. Thank you now for all these things. We ask that you bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.